Christmas is a love story. The greatest love story that was ever told. So this morning I wanted to reflect on that story, the story of God's love for us that would send His Son into the world to save us. We're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Hear then the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God And if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. Knowing that you alone have the words of life. You have the words that we need to hear. And you alone can speak them to our souls with the power that they need to have to bring life and change and hope. So Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us this morning. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the love that you have for us in Christ, that we might live in it day by day. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I was looking for love in too many faces. I was alone then, no love in sight. And I did everything I could to get me through the night. Some of you are old enough to remember that song. It's a legitimate desire looking for love. Every human being is wired to look for love. The problem is that we often look for it in all the wrong places. You know, we're desperate for love and acceptance. Every human being. Even men are desperate for love and acceptance. And much of the pain and confusion that we find in life is is a result, a direct result of human beings looking for love in all the wrong places. Because the truth is, until we discover the love that God has for us, no other love can ultimately satisfy us. Wherever we look for it, and however we find it, we will we will end up demanding from other people the kind of love that only God can give us. Because our need for love and our capacity for love far exceeds the ability of any other human being, particularly any one, 
whether it's a spouse or a child, can satisfy. And we do harm to those in our lives and we demand from each other, even in our marriages. And sometimes parents do it of their children. They, they need that love tank filled and so they, they seek to get as much as they can from the people in their lives. Those are appropriate loves. But we will demand from other people what only God can give us. And it can cause harm more than good. But once we discover, the scripture tells us, once we discover the love that God has for us. Once we come to abide in His love and and He abide in us. And once we find the kind of satisfaction that we were created to know. We are set free to love the people in our lives in a healthy way. To give lives to our spouses, to give lives to our children, to give lives to our parents in ways that we were not free to before because we were so needy. We become free not just to look for it and to crave and demand it, but to give it and to pour it out into the lives of others. And and so the story of Christmas is a story of, of God doing just that. It's the greatest love story ever told. Here is God revealing His love for the world. Here is God revealing His love for you in a way that He wants you to understand and to grasp and to be so moved, touched by it, to be so full of it that it actually turns you rather into a vacuum craving and needing love, actually turns you into a fountain of it because He pours it into us with such abundance. Like every good story, this is a story that has elements of tension and tragedy. And twists and turns and resolution, like any good story. I think it starts as it does in verse 8, and also down in verse 16, where we're told that God is love. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. Right? And that's where the story starts. A God, a creator God, we read a moment ago, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and everything that was made was made through Him. This God who is love is the God who created the world. And so this is the beginning of the story. The world is made by a loving creator, a loving father. And this is a beautiful and defining statement then that God is love. It is who he is. It's who he is essentially. As philosophers would say ontologically. It's who he is in his, in his being. God is love. But it, it's not only a beautiful and defining statement about who God is. It becomes a defining statement about who we are. Because one of the first things that the scriptures tell us after the fact that God created the world and he created us. Is that he created us in his image. That he created us very much like himself. So we are created to, to know and to receive and to return his love. We were created for that very purpose. And I think that's a lot of what it means when he says he's created you in his image. Is it means he's created you with the potential for relationship with himself. The God who is love has created you with the capacity to receive and to know and to return that love. Which is why we crave it. We crave love not because of some chemical evolutionary impulse to propagate the species. which really redefines and demotes love to something. But we crave love because God is love and because He's created us in His own image and He created us for Himself to be in relationship with Him. 
And so the Bible tells us you are created for a relationship with God. But then the story, as I said, every story has this tension and tragedy. And as we're created for this, this relationship with God, the Bible tells us that that relationship was broken. That it was broken by what the Bible calls sin. Sin is everything that we think and say and do that is contrary to who God is. It offends Him. Or it breaks His laws. And so it breaks relationship. Every one of us has experienced broken relationships. And relationships are usually broken by sin. Right? As they're broken by things that we do wrong. Perceived wrong or real wrong. There are people in our lives that we don't talk to anymore. We may or may not be mad at them, but relationships get broken, and they're always broken by that element. Perceived wrong, ways that we've hurt each other, ways that we have broken. My father is in a family of eight. He was one of eight children, and they grew up on a poor farm in northern Wisconsin, and the most valuable thing other than the farm that the family eventually lost that they had was a lake house on a cold northern Wisconsin lake. And somehow, and I don't know all the details of the story, but somehow one of the younger sons bought it from the father, my grandfather. And the oldest son, my Uncle Earl, never spoke to anybody in the family again to the day he died. Perceived wrong, right? Perceived sin. He felt wronged against. He never never spoke to them again. And this is... We all understand what a broken relationship is like. And the Bible says something like that has happened in our relationship with God. That that perceived wrong, and and in in this case, not perceived wrong, but real wrong has been done. Things that we think and say and do that are contrary to who God is, that offends Him and that break His laws. So the story goes that God's love for which we were created was obscured and forfeited by our sin. And as this is the greatest love story, that would be the greatest tragedy the world has ever seen is this brokenness in the relationship between God and the people that He has created. And so Isaiah 59 is there in your bulletin. There are a lot of places you can go for this. I just picked one verse that, to give us this picture of this brokenness. Isaiah 59, we read that, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save. His ear is not dull that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face so that He cannot hear you. There's a brokenness. Right? God's love or His ability to meet our practical needs has not been in any way broken, but the relationship is broken. Our sin has caused a separation, He says with us. And the twist in the story is that the sin that causes a separation not only breaks the relationship, they are actually crimes. Cosmic crimes that demand justice. Sin against God are crimes against the deity that demands that justice be met. And so God embarks. This is a, as the story goes, God embarks on the, the, the costliest act of love that the universe has ever seen, experienced, or heard. God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. We could not fix this brokenness. And there are sometimes relationships that you can't fix. There's nothing you can do to change other people's hearts and to do, but we could not fix this relationship. The Bible tells us that we 
were, in that sense, lost. And so God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he decides to enter into human history, to enter into human nature, to enter into humanity, to, to take on our likeness so that he can live the life that we failed to live and die the death that we can't afford to die, to pay the price that we could never afford to pay. To restore a broken relationship. Right? To, to remove the cloud of separation that, that keeps him and from the, from the warmth of his love to shine into our experience. And so God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have life. Right? That's exactly what verse 9 says in slightly different language. John wrote both of those sentences. But in 9 he says, in this... The love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Verse 10 takes it a step forward. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. Not that we could fix this or even wanted to fix this, but God loved us. And What did He do? He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a complex word. You know, not, it's not a word that we use every day. The NIV tries to translate it a little bit different. I'm reading from the ESV. The NIV translated it as an atoning sacrifice because propitiation is not a word a lot of people know. It's not a word we use. But the ESV, the King James, the New American Standard, they all keep the word pro- propitiation, even though we don't know what it means, most of us. Because it wants us to go and figure out what it means. Because it means more than an atoning sacrifice. It's a, it's a complex word that, that said Jesus was sent to do a job. And it was a complex and costly job. He was sent to do what job? To be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means two things really. It means that, that, that Jesus' sacrifice does two things. It satisfies God's justice. The part where it was a crime. The part where it demanded punishment, the part where we offended cosmic justice. And so that a propitiation satisfies the justice of God and turns away His anger from our sin, but it also atones and covers for our sin and provides forgiveness and mercy and restores us to relationship. God fulfills the demands of justice with a sacrifice. The Son of God sent into the world to pay our debt. To pay the debt for our sin by His own death on the cross. It's there under your second point. Revelation chapter 1. It says in this profound sentence, to Him who loves us. That's where it starts in Genesis. It's where it starts. Every movement of the story of the whole Bible starts with that sentence, to Him who loves us. Who created the world in love. Who created human beings in His image in love and for relationship with Himself. To Him who loves us. And because He loves us, He does what? He frees us from our sins. How does He do it? By the blood of His Son. And He does it all to remove the curse. And He says that this comes in verse 15 to whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
Right? The cloud of separation is removed there. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God has the cloud of separation. It's so far from being removed that actually whoever confesses the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. The separation is undone. The breach is healed. The relationship is restored. Now what does it mean to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Because that sounds like a simple statement. Well, I think it means everything that we're reading in this is believing everything that this whole section, that this whole story tells us, particularly summed up in verse 14. We've seen and testify, the Father has sent His Son. Jesus is the Son of God, sent by the Father, not just born, but sent into the world to, to be the Savior. Right? To confess Jesus is to confess that He is the Messiah, that He is God's man, that He is God's resolution to this whole broken relationship. So John chapter 1 verse 12, which I read a few minutes ago. To all who receive Him, to all who believe in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. To all who receive Him, to all who believe in Him, they're reconciled to His love. And the breach is closed. And love returns and flows again in the lives of His people. If you've never done this, if you have never confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the one sent by the Father to bear your sin in His own body on the cross to set you free from it, to be restored relationship to Himself, I would encourage you that this is a good morning, that this Christmas season is a good season to put your faith in Christ, to embrace Christ, to, to be restored to relationship with the Father. Because when the doors of love was shut, God sent His Son to open it wide again. And the enjoyment of this love is the privilege of every believer. The enjoyment of this love is the purpose for which you were created, quite literally. Quite literally, created in His image with this capacity to know and to love the Creator in return. It's the, the, the privilege that we literally get to live in. Right In verse 15, I love this language. It's such rich language that causes you to, your imagination to go into gear and your, and your mind to engage in this kind of language. In verse 15, when he says that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Right, and this language of abiding is, is intimate language. <clears throat> you can look it up in the dictionary and you can look in other translations and you'll see other translations put in there uh, dwell. And some put in there live. Whoever, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him. And he lives or she lives in God. There is this what theologians call mutual indwelling. There is this... This relationship, it's not just a relationship where you guys are now on casual uh, acquaintance-like terms, but he says the intimacy of the relationship that God has designed and intends for His people and the enjoyment of His love is profoundly rooted in our souls. When we are reconciled to His love, he says you get to live there and God's love actually comes to live in us. And when you think of divine love, and I don't even know if we can wrap our minds around it. The best and sweetest human experience of love doesn't begin to touch 
what God offers us. Look at verse, it's in your bulletin under the third point, Romans chapter 5. He says this, Paul trying to explain what's going on here. And Paul says, God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. Right, and there's that language again. Right? The language that His love was poured out into your souls. Right? It's not that you were just taught about His love to grasp it. It wasn't, it wasn't that the, this, the knowledge of His love would come into your heads. Right? He says there's this language that the love of God was poured out into your heart. Right? When you get heart there too, you need to take Bible heart. You know, we sometimes think of it as simply the seat of the emotions. It's not just the seat of the emotions. Biblically, the heart was always understood almost as synonymous for the soul. It, it included the emotions and the affections, but it was more than that. It also included the mind and, and the will that acted out of our emotions in our mind. It was, it's the whole inner self. It's who you are in the deepest recesses. It's your, it's your soul. When he says the love of God... This love that you were created for and had lost touch with, he says that when we confess Christ to be the Son of God and own Him as Messiah and receive and believe, he says His love is poured out into the soul of His children to dwell there, to live there, to abide there. He wants us to understand and to know and to experience This love, it takes up personal residence because he says that he does this, Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. That love itself, if God is love, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit who takes up residence and is poured out into the lives of his people. That love himself takes up residence in our souls and has a relationship with our souls in a very real, profound, unspeakable, way, right? Because the Holy Spirit then communicates God's love to us in unspeakable ways. Right? When I say unspeakable, I mean, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit's voice? No, but He communicates, really communicates. It's real communication. God communicates with us by His indwelling Spirit in unspeakable ways. He speaks mercy to your souls in forgiveness in a way that your heart can hear it experience it. He speaks His love to you in ways that only as you are in His presence and in worship, listening to His Word, believing His Word, full of His Spirit, and interchanging with Him, He speaks love to you in ways that only you can understand and experience. He causes us to believe and to know the love that God has for us. That's what verse 16 says. He says, God abides in him, 15, and he in God, so that we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He pours out his love into our hearts and he comes by the Holy Spirit and he abides in us so that we will know and believe the love that he has for us. He comes to speak it to your very soul. He impresses upon us this truth. We call it the internal witness of the Spirit. Theologians would say, how do you know it's the Word of God? Well, I can give you a dozen reasons, good reasons, 
historical reasons, manuscript reasons, and internal uh, witness of, the, of what it says in here and its, and its beauties and its glories and its truth. But ultimately we know that the Word of God is the Word of God by the internal witness of His Spirit that He speaks to us even through it. And we know that we know. Romans chapter 8, it's there in your bulletin. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received a spirit of adoption. And I think you could put right there the spirit of love. Right? The spirit of adoption. The spirit that embraces you as a child. Accepts you as a child. Makes you his child. What greater love is than the father of our souls to his children. Right? He's given you, we have received the spirit of adoption by whom, by His residence within us, by His presence and His power here, by whom we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself is bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. His Spirit speaking to our spirits. Not just externally, and I think he bears witness in many ways, and it is externally as he leads us into lives of holiness, lives of a desiring to please God. But internally, causing our spirits, enabling our spirits to return that love. Right? When, when our hearts are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, it's the, it's, it's the answer of the soul. Right? To God's voice. And God says, I love you as a son. I love you as a daughter. And He pours out that love in your hearts and He speaks it to your soul. Our souls respond. We are enabled to cry. And there's an intimacy in that statement that Paul grabs and, he, and Jesus taught it to him as He taught it to all of His disciples. The Abba Father that's given there. There is an intimacy in that statement that was virtually unknown in the religious world. Outside of Christianity, outside of Judaism or in Judaism, the, this direct and intimate address of God as Abba was unheard of. And he says he's brought you into this kind of, in your home as you speak to each other as a family and the names that you share with each other and the kind of things that in, in, the, in the warmest recesses of a loving family. He says that kind of intimacy they're enabled to say, Abba, Father. Our hearts return to Him in love and worship. My friends, this is the beating heart of Christianity. Right? Embracing the love of God in the gift of His Son as our Savior. Believing and receiving the love that God has for us. And His love and His Spirit poured out into the lives of His people and speaking that love to our souls in a way that only He can and our souls going out in a return of love, a return of worship that transforms everything, right? Because when your heart returns and says, Abba, and loves Him and genuinely goes out to Him as Father, you have to see how that changes everything. If your heart truly owns that. It transforms all of life. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it. In the name 
the Son to the glory of the Father. In this sense, it is true that Christianity is not just a religion, but a relationship. This fellowship with God is the greatest privilege that a believer enjoys. And, and I guess as I, as I say this, I sometimes think that we don't always enjoy this fellowship the way God intends it to. I believe that God, if you are His child, I believe that God wants you to live under this sense of His love for you every minute of every day to the day you die. I believe that it is the privilege of every believer to know that their Father loves them. That their Father is on their side. And that He he did the costliest, most radical sacrifice of love the universe has ever seen to restore the flow of this love so that it could be poured back out into the hearts of His people and that we could literally live there. We could live in Him and He in us, experiencing as you do in your home, the fellowship and love that your family shares. Lord willing, there's love in your home. And if there's not, your heart should go out to this picture that God offers to us of the love that He wants to share in our home and our relationship with Him. This is the privilege of every believer. And my friends, if it is, if it is obscured today, if, you're, if you have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, and this love is obscured today in your own life, and you're having a hard time hearing His voice tell you, of His, His Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are His children, that you abide in His love. And we, we need, <clears throat> I believe, to nurture and cultivate and cherish this relationship. It's like any relationship. <clears throat> and I know there are times that my wife will look at me and, and yell at me later. I, always, I never warn her when I'm going to use her as an illustration or us. You know, but there, there are just those times we look at each other and just say, you know, we need FaceTime. You know, or I feel like I don't even know you. Or I feel like there's distance. Or we haven't been together. You know, let's go out. You know, when we either go for a walk or go get a meal together. Or, we, you know, you go looking for that time to connect. And I would say, brothers and sisters, we, it's so easy for us. See, God's love. I was reading one guy this, this week, um, John Owen, old Puritan. He, he was saying, God's love for us is like the sun, right? It shines in its full strength and brilliance at all times. But our love tends to be more like the moon. It waxes and wanes, right? And it has its phases. It it grows strong and bright at certain times, and at times it grows weak. And and what is it that feeds our weak, forgetful, doubtful, neglectful hearts? Our faith must be fed by the Word of God. As we come to His Word this morning and we read of His love, right? Our hearts, our faith... Our love must be fed by the word of God, which is why it is the bread of life. The man shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because we need the Spirit to speak His words to our hearts fresh, day by day. I tell my children, every single time I talk to them, I tell them I love them. Right? Every single time I talk to my wife, and every day as we go to bed, that we say, I love you to each other. Right? We communicate that love. We, we speak it at every opportunity. Brothers and sisters, we need to draw near to God in His Word and let Him speak His Word to us afresh. We need to hear. Right? He speaks words of mercy. He speaks words of forgiveness. He speaks, he speaks the cross 
and the blood of Christ into our lives. And he draws us near and he tells us we are his children. This spiritual giving and receiving is the essence of a relationship with God. As we come to him in his word and by his spirit who lives in us and who brings his word to life, speaks the word of God fresh to our souls of love and mercy and grace. This fellowship, and as you can see, I would think, this fellowship then, this beating heart of the Christian faith, the Christian life of God dwelling in us by His love, is the motive and power of everything Christian. It's the motive and power of a Christian life, of a God-honoring, Christ-exalting life. Rules can leave you cold. Love creates passion. Love creates desire. And it changes everything. We do a lot of the same things. But we do them differently. When we're motivated by love and passion. The Bible tells us that without love we are nothing. Right? Because God is love. The whole Christian life can be summed up as love. There it is in Romans. Well, it's not in your bulletin. I didn't make it. Romans 13.10 says this, love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love does no wrong to their children. Love does no wrong to their friends. Love does no wrong to their parents. Love does no wrong to their spouse. Love does no wrong to their co-worker. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And therefore, love is a fulfilling of all the law. Everything that God demands and desires of us. When we know this love and we abide in Him and He in us and His love abides in us, the entire Christian life flows out of that. Everything that He desires and demands of us, the, love is sum, the law is summed up in us as we are filled and full of His love. Paul says that we can do nothing outwardly Christian. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, he starts out by saying you can know everything. You can believe everything. You can sacrifice everything. You could do everything right. And he says, but if you have not love, you don't have God. Right? You don't have the right heart. And we are lost. We are nothing. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit of God. Have you confessed that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you put your faith in Christ as God's unspeakable gift to the world, to you? Do you abide in Him? Does He abide in you? Have you come to know? Have you come to believe the love that God has for you? Do you live there every day? Do you wake up every morning with a sense that His mercies are new because He's your Father and He's on your side and He will walk with you today once we discover the love that God has for us, we are free to not just crave it. We're free to pour it out into the lives of those around us. Live in His love this Christmas. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that the warmth of Your love often burns low. Father, I would know and believe the love that You have for me as your child, and I would live in it. I would live out of it. I would have it flow out of me in the fulfilling of the law and the loving of the people that you have put in my life. 
that they might see my good deeds and bring glory to my Father who is in heaven. Father, this Christmas season, will you renew us in your love? Will you drive us to our knees and to your word? Will you open us afresh to the presence and power of your spirit? Will you speak your words to us and to our hearts like only you can? So that we might know and love, know and believe the love that you have for us. That love might mark us as your people. We ask and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.